There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes. Welcome in to the Tim McKernan Show from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. I am your host, Timothy Michael McKernan, on a podcast that is presented by Ryan Kelly, the HomeLoanExpert.com, Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, Seth Goldcamp of Design Air Heating and Cooling, online at DesignAirService.com, the number one train dealer in the Midwest, and Johnny Landoff, Johnny Landoff Chevrolet, Highway 270 in the Washington Elizabeth Exit online at Landoff.com. Chevy, find new roads. All of these sponsors make it possible. So if you're a fan of the program, support the sponsors. That's the name of the game. That's the name of the game, Jack. Uh, And this is questions from the audience in which we take your questions and then we just kind of BS and wander around. Uh, So that's what we uh, have for you here every Monday, an interview, and every Wednesday, questions, questions from the audience. So feel free to fire your questions off your feedback anytime you want. T McKernan at InsideSTL.com. T-M-C-K-E-R-N-A-N at InsideSTL.com. The weird thing about the podcast versus the radio show, at least from uh, my standpoint, as a host, is with the, with the radio show, you see how many uh, texts you get uh, and, and emails and then immediate feedback you get. Uh, and so, you know, all these people are listening with podcasts. You just do it. You record it. Gangster Pete uploads and you're like, oh, I don't know. I guess people are listening. We see the data, but people can download a podcast. Like I, I'm probably downloading tens of podcasts a day, but I'll wind up listening to maybe one of them. So you don't always really listen. And this week, the interview with Brian McKenna, who's a former St. Louis sports talk radio host who has uh, been battling in a major way, uh, cancer, over the last five years, and then turning that into a focus on charity while he deals with his personal hell. I am uh, thrilled to get the amount of feedback we've gotten on that interview. Uh, same thing with the questions from the audience. And you're always welcome to get feedback on interviews, interview guest suggestions, again, ideally within the realm of reality. Um, and by that, I mean, yes, it would be lovely to talk to a president, but it's probably not going to happen at this point. Give us time. I'm kind of focused on Chris Long at this moment. Uh, T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com. T-M-C-K-E-R-N-A-N at InsideSTL. Any questions, welcome, too. I say it. I mean it. Any question is welcome. So we start with this one. This is in the uh, email folder today. Hey, Tim, one of the main aspects I enjoy about TMA is that it feels like a group of friends sitting around busting each other's balls. The audience participation in, in this via text, email, or the fan page uh, are some of the funniest things I've ever heard. Almost all the jousting seems good nature, and usually, at least to me, it doesn't seem to be malicious. But I was wondering, does it ever bother anyone when texters, emailers, the fan page make fun of their con- contribution to the show? I mostly listen via podcast, so I rarely text, and I'm mostly a lurker on the fan page. I look at my own situation and how I would feel if at my job, my individual work was constantly made fun of, if I screwed something up, and like everyone, I screw up stuff from time to time, it would really get to me. Perhaps it's just the nature of being a public figure of the show, but sometimes things to be, sometimes things seem to be close to being below the belt. Again, I'm enjoying the show. That is Adam, not Colorado. 
Uh, it's a good question because I guess it is kind of a fine line, and it's a feel thing. So it's a it's a it's a tough thing to navigate from a legislative standpoint. From my standpoint, a lot of it's body of work. Um, so, like for example, Justin in Columbia, if you're a TMA listener, he's been texting in or emailing into the show. God, it's got to be ten plus years, and so you know what his song and dance is. He doesn't like hide out. He uses his real name. Um, and by that, I mean, like, on Facebook, he doesn't, like, make a, a name to hide. He, uh, he, you know, he's his act is to just bust the balls of the producers. Um, and he's been doing this well before the current three producers. You know, it goes back to producer Joe. So that's kind of his thing. And so you know it's not coming from a place of malice. I'll tell you one thing that uh, regarding the texters, the text inbox service that the radio station uses the names are all stored or the numbers are stored. And so if there's one that you go, that was a little weird. And I'm not talking about because the mean-spirited mean stuff, I don't want to say it rolls off your back. Um, it probably rolls more off of our backs than it would somebody who's experiencing it for the first time. Because I think about the first time I experienced catching it, and now we're talking 20 years, more than 20 years now. It's actually happened. It's now more than 20 years. Uh, cause it was like April of 1999, um, that, uh, it would, that would probably smart a little bit because it's the first time you're experiencing it. But the stuff that stands out is when it's like, Whoa, is that, is that like possible violence or is that somebody who doesn't get it? You know what I mean? Uh, and then what you can do is every text that somebody has sent in, you can click on the name or the number and then see the text, and then it, it, I'm, I'm telling you, it's like a tell on a tweet. You know it. Um, you know what to expect when you read a certain kind of tweet. It, it, and by that, I mean the, the person. Now, a lot of times with some of the, the harshest or most batshit tweets, a person's created a fake account. It's my reference to the dog avatar, but sometimes they'll just have like a big, you know, it's not, it's not a real picture. Um, and so... Uh, with the text inbox, you can go back and see what people have texted in. And it's just like, wow, this person. And I also say this, and it's just, and it's not, it's by, it's got, it's nothing. It's not a commentary on any other show. It's just the TMA style of show. The sense of humor on TMA is different, not better or worse, but it's like, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a roast. And so if you don't have the, um, I don't know what the right term, a sense of humor or makeup, so to speak, of liking that kind of humor. If you just tune in and chime in here and there, you don't get it. And, and so if you don't get it, then you don't, then you might send a text and you go, and then it just, it stands out from the others. And it might not even get read. Doug or the cat or Iggy or Plowhawk could be talking. And then I could, then while they're talking, I'll go, what the hell was that? And then I'll click on the text history and I go, oh, that person texts in, you know, most of the time at different hours than other than seven to 10. I guess the only, the only thing that I, cause I know I'm, I'm describing something in abstract terms. The best way to describe it would be like something you'd read in the sound off section. If the post-dispatch is still doing that, I don't even know if they're doing it or like a comment section, like YouTube comments or like a bot Instagram type shit, Twitter dog avatar, or back in the day, message boards 
that kind of thing where you're like, oh, that's an older person and they just, they're like probably lonely and angry. And I, I get, I mean, I, I suppose that could come off as harsh, but that's, it's, it's just, it's very, it's predictable. I was having a good conversation last night about this, about how, um, you know, sometimes the stuff can, can wear, you know, it really can, because I have to tend to it and it doesn't all, all the time get tended between 7 a.m. and 10 a.m. And I appreciate that some people appreciate that it, it is a, a stress. Um, and this person says, you know, it's a shame that you have to deal with that. But, and I said, yeah, but you're not going to throw out like the, the baby with the bathwater. So, you know, it, it's just kind of, it, it's, it, you don't like it, but you recognize, I mean, after two decades of it, you just kind of recognize it's the way it's going to be and it's not going to change. So what are you going to do? Um, but then the person also kind of showing the person's makeup goes, it's a shame that the people who send that stuff in or the people who post like that on the fan page, you know, that there's some stuff going on there. And I, you know, I mean, I, I, I haven't thought of it from that perspective, but yeah, I mean, the, the odds are the people who spend time in comment sections or message boards, just stirring or trolling on social media, you know, you're not talking about CEOs and, you know fulfilled personally, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a, so the, there's a makeup there, but that also explains why I don't want to try to poke the beehive because you don't know what, with what you're dealing. So, uh, that's another element of it. It's, and I know it sounds like really, um, deep in the weeds on something where like Doug would say, well, just block them. But then there's, there's another side to that if you just block. So regarding the sense of humor for like 99% of the audience, um, first off, number one, I'd like to think, I'm sure there have been exceptions over 15 years. It would be a big mistake to, to make an absolute. Um, but, uh, if somebody is not a willing participant, they have not entered into the arena, then they are left out in the reindeer games. If someone does call in, text in, email in, obviously participate in the show, then they're it's a roast. And if you're on the dais and the dais also includes the audience members who've chosen to participate, it's like at a roast and everybody goes around the dais and they could take a shot and the shot could be brutal, but it's understood that it's, that it's fun and games. If there is a serious issue and it's not like there've been a lot of them, but if there's a serious issue amongst the people working on the show, that's not going to be tended to on the air. Um, and that I can say again, I'll just, for the purpose of giving myself an out, but an almost absolute situation. If it's serious, it's going to be tended to behind the scenes, but even that hasn't happened all that much. So I think there's just an un- understanding that it's, like I said, I, I use the example of it's a roast, and obviously some people get roasted way more than others. I mean, my God, Iggy is burnt to a crisp every day, and I'm not making comment on his uh, suntan skin, talking about how often he gets lit up. But uh, it's just part of the show. But then, you know, like, you know, um, listeners put on an event the other night and uh, and I'm just like, you know, and my wife comes up and we hang out and she's like, you know, cause we usually put Jameson to bed around eight o'clock. And she's like, God, I could have hung out there all night. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really good people. And there there certainly there are exceptions and you kind of recognize it and you just either, you, you know, you just see it and you just go, whatever. Uh, some people actually apparently feel sorry for them. Um, 
I, it's just, but, but the main premise is it's a good group of people, whether it's people who are posting or just in general when they come to events and they're not active because they don't want to get involved in the reindeer games. It's a good group of people because it's kind of, kind of a sem- similar sense of humor and also a similar mindset. Like this thing just wouldn't, like in the 80s and 90s when you had the hashtag radio wars, I mean, we just wouldn't have flown then because it's just not, it's not in Doug's, the cats or my personality. Um, to like radio war it, you know, it's like, Oh, we're going to do that thing where you attack a radio station. I listened to, here we go. Here's our first digression. I was listening to Stern and he had, uh, Jimmy Kimmel in studio. This is an interview from a couple weeks ago and he was talking about his book promotion. Have you read his book yet? Gangster Pete, the new book, Howard Stern comes again. I've actually read a lot of articles about it, but have not read the book yet. So I last night, it was like 9.30, and I'm like, I'm going to go to bed, and I'm going to read for about a half hour or an hour. There's no blues game, and I'm going to finally read this thing, and then I wound up not getting a chance. I was so damn tired, I didn't get a chance to. So I uh, go to bed, and um, I never read it, but Howard's been doing all these interviews for his book promotion, and I guess he was going to do, or he did do, Colbert, Fallon, and Kimmel. And he was telling Jimmy, he said, this is a weird spot, but since I'm in New York, I'm going to do Fallon and Colbert first, even though we're friends, because I guess Jimmy Kimmel and Howard Stern hang out. And he said, does that bother you? And Jimmy goes, no, I just don't, I don't even really think about it. And that's how I am about radio. And I'm, I'm pretty damn confident that's, that's how Doug and the Cat are as well. I mean, we just don't talk about it. And I think people believe that because you kind of know our personalities at this point. But I also don't I don't I don't think like Bernie Miklas, who I guess would quote unquote be our competition, even though I don't think Bernie thinks a second about us and we don't think a second about him. It's just different than, you know, back in the day. And like Stern was saying, he goes, God, I goes, I was so messed up that I felt like I had to have every member of the audience. And if somebody was taking people away from me, then they became the enemy. And then I would like declare war on them. And so it's kind of a thing that goes back to the 80s and 90s with this the Radio Wars thing that we kind of make fun of. I mean, I don't know if it's going on anymore. I, but what Kimmel said was, he goes, no, I really don't care. And, he, and, and Howard goes, God, that's so healthy. He goes, I just wasn't like that. He goes, now, now I am, but I'm in a point now in my career. I guess he's 63 or 64, you know, and he's on Sirius. It's a different ball game. But Jimmy goes, yeah, I mean, I don't – And he, it wasn't like I really love Stephen Colbert and I really love Jimmy Fallon. He said – he goes, just the way that you can access content now, you can you can listen to or view all shows and not have to make a choice like you used to with live radio. So if somebody wants to listen to, say Bernie had somebody on and they want to listen to the interview, you can do that, but you also can listen to TMA because you can listen to Bernie afterwards. So it just has changed that. So anything where you're like declaring war on another radio personality or radio station is so hackneyed because it's, it's, it's not relevant anymore. Now, if somebody attacks you and says something that's not true. That's the thing that I always kind of leave as an outlier, but that stuff doesn't even go on. And maybe if it is going on, it's places I'm not even aware of. So, you know, it's a, just a different deal. I think I think it's certainly healthier. Um, you know, and a lot of what's funny, I, I, I listen to Stern's interviews. Like I said, I haven't read the book yet. And how he talks about how he's just like grossed out by how he was um, really when the show took off in the 80s. Uh, and then the 90s and how he just looks back on that with, with regret, similar to how I look back on like the morning grind and go, oh, my God, I can't believe that I was like that. 
But there are some people who always will pigeonhole him as the guy who he was then, and then you just can't help but understand that people just evolve. I don't know if change is the right word, but just evolve. I mean, me as a single 25-year-old is a hell of a lot different than me as a married with a child 42-year-old. And it, so I would imagine people can understand, whether you're working on radio or whatever job, that your personality changes in that time. Um you know, I do think Doug is the same dude he was that when I met him in March of 2000 at KMOV and, uh, and the cat is the same guy, uh, when I met him, when we were covering Cardinal games together and, you know, when I was at KMOV, um, but since I kind of, I guess I put more of whatever, some of the personal stuff out there, uh, if I were to listen to that, it would, it just, it really grosses me out. So that, that's kind of been one of the debates on the Stern book thing is it's just an act to try to sell books or to pr- present a false legacy. If you listen to the show, it's just a different show than what it was then. But our show, I think, I think the reason why, going back to your question, Adam, why it gets away with what it gets away with, even though I don't really think it really gets away with anything. Um, but if I know if people are like isolate sentences from the show without the context and you're not a listener, people would be horrified, especially when people are making livings by being horrified and outraged, uh, is because the audience think knows that it's as, as weird as it is, it's good natured and nobody is going to be dragged into the reindeer games, kicking and screaming. They choose to get into the reindeer games. And once you have entered the arena at this point, now you're, you're going to be on the receiving end of the free for all. So I think I think that's the reason. So, you know, Iggy has never, for example, since I guess he's the one who gets lit up the most, um, has never said, you know, privately, for real, um, hey, that bothered me. Can you make sure that that isn't said? Um, It's just never happened. Um, So, you know, and nor has anybody else, by the way. But uh, Iggy's the one who takes the brunt of it. So I would understand if... uh, People would would wonder about that. Uh, let's see. I got a next question from the audience. Let me see what's doing here again. We're in the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Ryan Kelly, the HomeLoanExpert.com. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies online at EvergreenSTL.com. Um, what is the fallout of the nipple-piercing conversation? Now, this is very obscure. Peter, are you familiar with this? Because I know you try to stay away from the fan page. Yeah, I saw your wife roasted you pretty good. Yeah, she did. And that was a real conversation. It was a 10-second conversation. I was already lying in bed. I guess this was not, uh, what would it be, Tuesday. It was Monday night. So it was after the Blues loss in Game 1, the Bruins. I don't even know why the hell it came up. Like, why would I have said this? But I did. Not It's not, it's not necessarily a huge outlier for me to say it, but I don't know what, what provoked it. Um and I said, you know what? Why don't you get nipple rings? That would really turn me on. And, and like an Aaron Sorkin script without missing a beat, she goes, why don't you grow a couple inches? That would really turn me on. I'm like, wow, whoa. But that's fair. It's very fair. I mean, you know, Anna Marie is, uh, I think most people would say she's an attractive woman, uh, probably alarmed that she is with me from not just a physical standpoint, but also from just a personality standpoint, you kind of go, what, what, what am I bringing to that? It's not like, Oh, he's such a nice guy. So I don't know. I don't have the answer to that question. It's 11 years at this point, but, um, you know, I like, I think most women 
And I don't know what this is about, but I accept it. I don't, I don't go, I'm a beautiful, small man. You know, women are attracted to taller guys. It's just, you know, I, I guess I'm sure there are some outliers on it, but it's just the way that it, it's, 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 it's biochemistry. So I'm not really going to argue with it. So God bless. I can't do anything about it. I mean, trust me, if I could, I'd be, I'd be thrilled. I'd be thrilled to be like 5'11", much less like 6'2". So, you know, I mean, uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm completely uh, aware of the circumstances. There's not a whole lot you can do. And it's also just what I believe anyway women are attracted to. I, as a gentleman, but as a smaller gentleman, have never really cared on the height thing. But then I guess when you think about it, I'm not going to be in a position to be uh, going out with somebody who is like a female who's 5'10", flat foot. I don't, at least that's, Casey Kasem had that going on. I guess Tom Cruise had it going on with Nicole Kibben. Anybody can think of Gangster Pete who else had the, the male was smaller, like noticeably smaller than the female. I know that those are two that, um, so it's just not, it's, you know, I mean, it's just, I don't know, you, you get it. So that's just kind of the way that it is. So, you know, I don't know. I've, that's, but I, I guess it's a good thing that I don't think I realized this. And I'm not talking about me being small. That's something that I was well aware of since I can recall going back to kindergarten. But I'm talking about like that women are attracted to taller guys. I, I swear to you, as fucked up as this might sound. I re- it was Little Rock, my first television job. So I'm 22, 23 years old when it when I first became aware of it. I truly didn't know, and I know sometimes when I say these things, the people go, "Oh, you get you're just saying this," but I'm dead serious. I really had no idea. I guess when I think about it, but I get my girlfriend in like high school and college was was a volleyball player, was taller, not not necessarily taller than me, but you know taller. Um, so, but, but my, my, my significant others, and I've like been in nothing but relationships since 95. Uh, I don't know if I would necessarily advocate that, but I look back on the, uh, you know, the last 25 years and that's, that's the way that, uh, it's played out. Um, none of them have been taller than me, but at the same time, they've all been kind of like in the five, seven, five, eight range. So minus one of them. Uh, so I don't know, but I get it. And so I don't take offense to it. And so Anna Marie's type, like I think most women, um, is, is a tall guy, tall, dark and handsome. And I'm just, I mean, I'm, I'm short, pale and awkward. So, you know, I get it. It's a fair case. Here I am making a request for nipple piercings. And in her response, just it was it was it was warranted, it was accurate, it was concise, um, and and candidly, I appreciated it. It was it, it needed to be said. It needed to be said. I make my plays for lesbianism on a daily basis. Uh, that needs to be psychoanalyzed immediately. That should be a questions from the audience situation there. Um, but yeah, it's just like. Yeah, it's it's nearly midnight. I'm going to get up in five hours. The Blues just lost their first Stanley Cup final game in 49 years. Hey, you should get nipple rings. It would really turn me on. I mean, that's the background of the that's the background of the comment. 
We weren't talking about piercings. We weren't talking about tats. There was nothing sexual going on. I think I was like in hour two of the NHL Network's postgame. And, and so what provoked this? I have no fucking clue. But I do recall I said it, and then I do recall her response, and I thought, yeah, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. Can't blame you for that one. Um, so, yes, that is what the uh, nipple piercing conversation is in reference to. you got to be on the TMA fan page to be aware of it. Uh, but I tip my cap to my wife. I think she's 5'8". I'm in, in that 5'8". I'd love to call it 5'9 range. Um, so she's, uh, for a female, What's the average, what do you think the average height for, let's call it a 30-something, give or take 10 years, American female is gangster Pete. I'm sure we can get this information, but why five, get five? the information? I think five five. Do you? Yes, complete probably. guess. I'm gonna go. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna round up just to try to beat you in prices. Rise, ride it and go five five and a half. So we'll go with sixty five point five inches American female. Again, using that median age because I realize there's a shrinking situation as the uh, the age goes up. Ladies and gentlemen, gangster Pete is on Google, and we will have this information for you, and we will uh, we will inform as well as talk about nipple rings on this program. Gangster Pete, he has an MBA. What do you have? It's separated by country. i got to do one more. Huh. What, what kind of knowledge are you getting on countries? Uh, what has what women United tallest? States, 5'3". Five, 5'3"? 5'3 three three five, three and 3'4". Three huh. I would have lost. I would have lost our bet. Europe is actually taller, 5'4". Huh. Interesting. Interesting. Well, either way, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I get it. I guess it's good to not be, like I'm telling you, like the, the of all cliches, ignorance is bliss, is, is, is I'm growing older, is, is really a good one. Um, I can't even imagine all of the stuff that we're ignorant of. Uh, and it's probably better that way. And so to live for the first 22 or 23 years of my life being ignorant to the height thing as far as that being a big thing for what women are attracted to was a big benefit. Big benefit. Uh, yeah, Gangster Pete, did you have something else? I felt like you were about to say something else. No, I'm a Twitter guy too, and I never thought about that ever. Do you, until, are you still not thinking older. about it? I actually had a conversation with one of my buddies this weekend. I didn't even realize wow, he was like fresh three, three inches taller than me. Like someone was talking about how much shorter I looked than that person. Like standing next to him, I'm like, what? I thought we were the same height. Like, it just never even crossed my mind. Well, like, in my mind, I'm a much larger man. Well, no, I'm well aware of it. But, I mean, obviously, I hear about it almost daily. Um, but I just don't think. So then I think, because I, I remember thinking it in Little Rock, and then I started KMOV. And when we would do live shots, me and Steve Savard, who is a huge guy, huge both tall and then built like a brick shit house. And then you got me, and probably then I weighed like a buck fifty, if I had to guess. I think I did weigh a buck fifty, you know. I mean, it just it looked absurd. And so we were doing a live shot from New York uh, following a Rams-Giants game, I'm pretty sure. Uh, in 2000, actually, Trent Green and Justin Watson lead the Rams to victory over the eventual NFC champion Giants. And um, and the photographer said we were on top of the CBS building in uh, Manhattan. And the photographer said, oh, I guess we're going to have to use a stand. And I go, what do you mean? Now, as well, we're going to put you on a stand next to Steve. That's emasculate. That is emasculating. At the same time, what's your alternative? You either stand there and you're like a full foot smaller, plus he's, you know, a bigger guy. I'm not talking about obese, but bigger. So you had that. And then I remember walking through Lambert. We landed the next day 
And Steve and I are walking through the airport to get our luggage. And somebody goes, hey, love the show last night. That thing with the block was great because we had the cameraman pan down to show that I was standing on like some cinder block or something. Like I said, it's totally fucking emasculating. And Savard goes, isn't amazing? It doesn't matter what we covered last yesterday from the game. People are going to remember the dumbest shit. And I go, yeah, I had to do a radio show. So that 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 happened. I remember hearing that Costas, and I guess this is something you can look for when he pops up. I know he isn't doing as much as he used to. He would never do interviews standing up. Um, he would always do them sitting down. That's a tactic. I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's also a weird thing to me and I'm not looking to like become the Pied Piper of the cause. Cause I just, uh, you know, like I said, the ship kind of, so you're 42 and you're married with a kid. It's kind of like, ah, it's not, it's not uh, something I'm really too concerned about. Uh, but I really do feel like, and maybe I'm off the mark on this. Maybe I can get up my uh, wedge issue, that making fun of a small man is like one of the last bastions of attacking somebody for something they can't do anything about and and not receiving some kind of penalty or Twitter outrage on. You're agreeing with me on this. I feel like yeah. this is a, I'm in a voice in the wilderness. Because like, who, and people go, well, fuck you. But it's like, I, there'll be times where I'm watching, even like one of my favorite movies of all time, which is really saying something, The Girl Next Door. Have you seen The Girl Next Door? It's where the juice yeah. is worth the squeeze comes from. I love her. Which I, uh, oh, Alicia Cuthbert in that movie, forget yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. God almighty. But, uh, they're, I mean, that, that movie's 15 years old. And how much has changed? Like, I think they're calling people, you know, the, the word I can't say now, uh, the F word derogatory for homosexual. And it's just kind of thrown around. I think in old school with Will Ferrell and Luke Wilson and Jeremy Piven and the, and the wonderful Andy Dick, who uh, hit on one of my buddies in Las Vegas and may or may not have slept in the same room as producer Joe. That's that's a gray area uh, using that word. I mean, they're just things that are said. And then like what is called now fat shaming, um, you know, that can't be done. But like making fun of somebody for being short can and I'm fine with it, but I just find it odd because in that case, it's like I can't do anything. It's like I can't really get worked up about it because it's not like I'm like, fuck, I fucked up and I'm short. You know, this is just kind of the cards I was dealt and it's the way that it goes. You know, it's like, fuck, I have pale skin. Well, I mean, I can't do anything about it. I only sweat the whole thing. The baldness thing, I think I could have done something about. So I do uh, dis- I'm disappointed that I stopped the Propecia because I think I'd still be running all right if I wouldn't if I wouldn't have gotten off the Propecia. But the height thing, I can't do anything about it. But it's safe to make fun of people for height. And I think, I don't know if that'll go away. In a way, even though I'm on the receiving end of it, I kind of hope it remains <laughs> because I hope we have something we can still kind of give each other shit about. But I would imagine at some point, Somebody's going to say something, say it really hurt their feelings, and then it will become like the new thing that you can't make fun of. I think that will happen. I think that will happen. But you couldn't. Who's the short? Here's here's a, here's a history question. Even though you're MBA, shortest president. I mean, the presidents are tall. Not not like six four. Trump's to Trump like I guess I know I'm not an anti-Trump thing, but he's known for exaggerating his height. I've met Barack Obama. It's not like he was super tall, but I would guess he was in the six one ish range. I have the answer. Hold on, I want to try and guess. Okay, and I'm not looking because I really do want to get. I, I feel like I know it, and then I'm not. Then I'm going to be pissed at myself. I'm just going to go back. I'm going to buy time here. I'm just going to name them so we have some form of audio. So it's not Trump. It's not Obama. It's not Bush. It's not Clinton. Clinton's, I think, decently tall. Uh, not H. W. Bush. Not Reagan. 
don't think, I don't know how tall Carter is. Uh, Gerald Ford was like an All-American athlete at Michigan. Uh, doubt it was Nixon. Doubt it was Johnson, not JFK. Eisenhower, can't imagine that's the case. Truman, FDR. Now we're in the Depression. Am I going Coolidge, Hoover? And now I'm going to get into a spot, Gangster Pete, where I can't go back any further, I don't think, from memory anyway. I'm going to make a play on John Adams. James Madison. James Madison. 5'4". 5'4". Really? Yeah. I wonder 20th century presidents. Do you have them all listed there? Truman was 5'9". Oh, really? I'm Missourian. Um, I don't know. If a pres a short like short so like me short not like five ten short, but like me in the five eight ish range short, I don't know if this is a gentleman, if he could get elected. Let me put it this way: he could get elected, but he's got a he's got a he's got a forty five foot putt, while the six two guy has a thirty foot putt. That's that's where I'm coming from. I always wonder. And by always, I mean I've thought occasionally about more likely to get elected in 2019 an openly gay candidate, which I guess is in play with Mayor Mayor Pete, um, or an openly atheist candidate. What do you think? Openly atheist right now. You think so? I don't know on that. Actually, no. The now more you're I think off, about you're off it, you moved no, off very more, quickly. Yeah, the more I think, well, does the does the, the short guy have the advantage on well, the openly atheist and the openly yeah, gay? The short the guy religious people are going to get upset about both of those things. So I got the short. I don't know if I'm openly atheist so much as I'm just like not sure, and I guess that puts me in the agnostic category. I believe is by definition, but that upsets some people when I say that, uh, and I'm certainly uh, comfortable with uh, a gay candidate, but me, myself, not in that category. But I would imagine those two things would make it very difficult, in addition to, like, my Mr. Marcus retweets. I would think that wouldn't help the cause either, but that's that's probably unique to me. Um, so, yeah, the, the conversation all stems from um, my question to Anna Marie on, yeah, you ought to get nipple rings. That would turn me on. Just like, just like a, I mean, this, and here's the thing. That's not like, what the hell's going on with you? She's used to this stuff. And so I guess she's just like, okay, fuck this guy. Why don't you grow a few inches? That'd turn me on. Ah, tough, fair, tough and fair, you know? And that's the thing. I mean, I know she finds physically attractive, like most women, taller guys. I'm talking like in the 6'4 range. And then she's got me, and she looks how she looks, and I look how I look. And it's just, it's just, a, it's messed up. There's no way around it, you know? And, and it's so, it's so lopsided, which is another issue but not what I'm talking about here. It's so lopsided that it's like people are just open with it. It's not like, it's not like a gossipy thing. Like, God, why is she with him? People just go, God, what the fuck is she doing with you? It's just like, it's so, it's so, so I understand it doesn't offend. Cause like I said, we got more than a decade of this, but I thought her response to the nipple ring question, which I know isn't going to happen. Uh, was as, was as, was as appropriate as can be. And I think, I, I think most people got that it was a joke. But I think some people might be a little serious and like, are you guys, are you guys okay after Anna Marie's uh, nipple ring response to you? And, uh, and the answer is 
uh, absolutely not. And now we are uh, we are in disarray because she is fired at my height, and that is that is sacred ground. It cannot be talked about. It cannot be talked about. I'm telling you though, man. It's not like I was doing really well in high school anyway. Uh, growing up where I grew up in South City, there really weren't a lot of people from my high school in my neighborhood. And then I was I was young for my class. I graduated in 94, but I should have been 95. My birthday September 27th, as if you don't know. And um, so that so I didn't drive until later. And then my mom in particular was freaking out about the idea of me driving. So then I was even later on getting my license and having any access to our sweet minivan. So that made it tough because now I can't even be around like where most of the uh, my friends or classmates live, and they sure as hell aren't going to come down to what they thought was essentially Compton. Uh, St. Louis Hills, in their mind, was Compton. So, um, you know, I'm just kind of stuck. And so maybe maybe that's where the ignorance came from. It wasn't that I, would, like, blocked it out. It's like I didn't even have a chance. And so... Uh, I didn't know that uh, my physical uh, shortcomings were uh, were an issue because I wasn't even giving myself an opportunity to get turned down. Yeah, it wasn't like I was getting turned down, but I wasn't I wasn't firing bullets either. So, what are you going to do? Do you have more information there, Gangster Pete? I feel like you have more information. Our current president is pretty high on the list as far as tall. Yeah, as far as tall. What is he? Six two, six three, six three, which is number three all time. Oh, wow. Now I'd like to guess the top uh, two. Lincoln? Lincoln's number one. Ah, Six, four. What's that? Six, four. Well, that's something else for 1860s. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to ask for one hint. What century? That really doesn't do me much good. Unless it's... One unless it's, Okay. Huh. God, I'm just going from... God, I guess maybe it's... I feel like this is wrong. I'm going to go Ford. No. Nah. What do we got? What's the win? Uh, Lyndon B. Johnson. Oh, I didn't know he was that tall. Is that right? What was he? 6'3"? Six, 6'3 three? Uh, six, three and a half. I didn't know any of this. How about that? <laughs> this is good knowledge. Who's the second shortest? I always thought it was Adams. I thought he was short, but maybe I'm wrong. But 5'4". Fuck. I mean, I mean, you could be a short dude. 5'4", you're, you're still... You know, in a pretty good spot there. And you got a wide berth, too. I thought it was Adams. I'm a distant, distant relative of John Adams and, of course, John Quincy Adams. So then that's, that's where I'm getting my height issues from. Hell, I don't know. Do whatever the hell you want with it. But there it is. That's the, that's the, that's the, that's the nipple conversation uh, that took place in, uh, in me chambers. Harrison was the second shortest. William Henry Harrison. Also tied with Martin Van Buren at 5'6". Wow. See, I just don't think somebody at five six could get elected now. How tall is Mayor Pete? I'll type that in since I know you you got a lot of things going on. How tall is Mayor Pete? This is this is good podcasting here, right? Just type up. <laughs> Ford was six foot for the record. Really? I just figured I'm like, okay, all American athlete at Michigan, he must have been super tall. I can't get how uh, Buttigieg. He's kind of middle of the pack. Well, I can't get a height on him, but he doesn't seem like he's real tall. Who do you think is going to win the Democratic nomination? I have no idea. I know, but you got to you got to just venture a guess because I don't either. But I'd probably throw something out. I just don't know. I mean, I, the numbers say Biden right now. I mean, if I had to bet on it, that's where I put my money. Yeah, but... I don't know. I don't know. Like comfortably too. There's by like the way, a ton of people though. I know. 
I don't know. I think somebody's going to emerge. And I'm not saying that's good or bad because, of course, it depends on where you're coming from. But even like Democrats are like, I don't want Biden or Democrats are like, I don't want take your pick of super progressive because that person can't beat Trump. So I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I can't get a height on Mayor Pete, but I just think he's a, uh, I could be wrong. Maybe he's, maybe he's six, four for all I know. Fucking knows. Um, all right. Final question here on questions from the audience, Tim, uh, the fans reaction to both the officiating and the broadcasting of the playoffs has kind of been embarrassing to me. And I don't know how much you've noticed it or been bothered by it, but I feel like every game there's a group of people on Facebook or Twitter whining about the announcers, the officials being out to get us. I really think it's stupid and makes us look really small town. What do you think? Um, I, With regard to that discussion on the announcers in particular, I the, the reptilian brain side of me, maybe like if this were 2006 side of me, uh, is just like, I want to say one thing. Then I'm whatever I am in 2019, and I go, I can understand because the emotions are high. You think one thing because this is what Joe Buck has experienced throughout his career where people think he is against their team. This isn't limited to St. Louis teams. This is everywhere. Um, but that's just not really how it works, and I just all I can do is give you my word that that is the case. It's not how it works. I am certain on the other side of it that networks – would prefer uh, certain cities be in. But I also think along those lines, but that doesn't mean that that's that, 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 like coverage is dictated because that, that's not going to impact the play on the ice. Uh, I, I do think if you have, God, I don't even know. Like, for example, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's not a huge market. I think St. Louis is a bigger market than Pittsburgh. But you have Sidney Crosby. You have a heritage team. Now, it's certainly not what you had in the 80s, with, 90s with Gretzky, but you know, he's the biggest star in the game. That would be better for ratings. Although I was looking at some ratings when the Penguins have been in, and it's not like that did a whole lot, like Penguins and Sharks in 2016. So that was, but that's the whole thing. That's what I was talking about. I might have talked about this on the radio. Maybe I talked about it here for this whole thing about they want the Sharks in over the Blues back when that was going on. Uh, I'm like, yeah, when the Sharks were in the Stanley Cup final, it was the lowest rated Stanley Cup final since 2012. And you know who played in 2012? Los Angeles. So, it's just, it's just not, it's just not a real thing. I don't know what to say because I can't like prove it to you outside of it's just not real. And when your team's not playing well, well, what's going to happen? They're going to talk about the team that your team is playing. And so therefore you're already on tilt because your team is losing. And now the announcers are talking about the other team and making them out to be this great team and then it pours salt in the wounds. So I understand how it manifests, but it's just wrong. So all of the coverage following game one of the Stanley Cup final was Boston Bruin-oriented. Well, the Boston Bruins dominated 67% of that game and won the game. So I understand it, and I don't really know, like, what you would have, like, what were they going to do, spend time on... A what from the Blues? I mean, that was one of their worst games out of the, what, 20 or 21 they've played so far. Uh, I remember, I guess I wasn't even thinking of this stuff because there was no social media in 2004, but it bothered him. Uh, I did an interview with Joe Buck in, like, I guess it might have been the off season of 04 or um, early 05. 
And he goes, did you read the sound off section? I go, no, what are you talking about? He goes, somebody wrote in there complaining that I'm anti-Cardinal and that I was, you know, pro-Red Sox in the uh, World Series broadcast. And he's like, did you even watch the World Series? The Cardinals never even had a lead. Like, where would there have been my opportunity to be pro-Cardinal? But he goes, I'm not going to be pro-anything. He will say this, we like seven-game series. We like seven-game series. That's a good thing. But, you know, they can't control it. It's just one of those things. Now, I'm anxious to see what winds up happening with the remainder of the Stanley Cup final because I really do think, and this is my own theory, this isn't something I'm plagiarizing from TSN or, uh, you know, some blogger or some tweet I saw. It's a theory. I could be wrong. And it's not like I thought the officiating was, you know, anti-Blues or pro-Boston or anti-Boston or pro-Blues or anything in Game 1. And by the time you listen to this, uh, there's a good chance Game Two's already been played. I think that the league was made aware of or was aware of the Sharks' contention that the Blues were able to get away with some things early on in the series that set a tone for the series that then led to no Carlson, no Hurdle, and no Pavelski in Game 6. And essentially the Sharks just hoping like hell they could pull off a miracle and get that thing back to San Jose. And even if they did, they'd have to pull off another miracle and win, even though it would feel psychologically like they had a huge advantage because uh, they were going to have to win two games without those guys. So I wasn't thinking about that going into game one of the Stanley Cup final. And then in particular on the Robert Thomas uh, hooking penalty that was, um, what was that, early in the second period? Was it not uh, Gangster Pete? I think. Yeah, that's the only one I really had a problem with. I was just like, I didn't even know there was a penalty. They came back from break, and then right. Thomas is on the bench, and I'm like, oh, what happened? And then I saw it, and I'm like, what the fuck? And then Olchek and Doc Emmerich go, yeah, they're going to call that every time. And I'm going, really? Am I not? Why? And what am I seeing? And then, of course, God bless Kelly Chase, who's kind of been, I think, censoring himself. Uh, Send out a tweet, and he's like, if the, boy, be careful here, boys. If this is going to be the standard for this thing, this is going to be a problem. And that's the thing. And so people are going, okay. Maybe Krug's hit on Thomas wasn't a charge, but if you're going to call Thomas for hooking for something that had it not been called, I don't know if there would have been a soul in the building who got, what in the hell? How'd they miss the call on Thomas? You're not going to call that, but you're, that's the, that's the issue. Cause that's the thing you set a standard. So I don't know on that in the blues, whereas it looked like, and it certainly was talked about on the broadcast, like Edmondson's high stick on Bacchus was obvious. Edmondson certainly didn't react like that, and his response was bizarre to, like, shove Bacchus down again. Reminds me of, was it Edmondson who, in the Star Series, felt like there was an embellishment? Was it him or was it another defenseman? And I, was I that Bortuzzo? Exactly. Might have been Bortuzzo, but either way. And then he shoved him down because he's like, oh, my God, look at this. This guy's blatantly embellishing that. I think that was like game three or four in Dallas. Um, so that was that was that was Edmondson's reaction there, and then the Sunquist one that you know there's like the Blues are taking some really dumb penalties here. That's a terrible penalty, but Sunquist and the Blues are just like, yeah, that wasn't a penalty; it was embellishment. So then I wonder if the Stars are like, okay, this is how the Blues play. This is how the Blues got advantages on the Sharks, and so what we've got to do is we've got to dive. We got to dive because we've got to set a tone in game one, and we got to get those calls so we don't get in a spot that later in the series our top-tier players are out. 
Now, I might be digging way too much into this because, again, if I'm watching that game, the only one that stood out to me where I went, what the fuck, was the Thomas call. I was watching Perron and Krug go back and forth in front of Rask down at that end. I'm going, okay, that's not a penalty in any way. I guess both guys are doing it. And then Krug goes the length of the ice and takes out Thomas, and, and nobody was really saying anything about it being a charge, including people who played the game. Now it's become somewhat of a debate, and Boston fans seem to be a hell of a lot more defensive about it than St. Louis fans are being saying it should have been a charge. And Blue, I think most Blues fans are going, yikes, we got our asses kicked in the second third period, and we got to stay out of the box and, and stop turning the puck over. I think that's where the focus is, and not really the officiating, minus Chara and the slash on Bozak's stick. I think, I think even Boston fans go, yeah, we got away with avoiding a five-on-three there. So I don't know if that's a one-game thing or if that's a way it's going to be. Because that takes a weapon away from the Blues. And I'm not talking about a player, but their style of play that got them here. Because if you remember, following game one against the Sharks, a game they won 6-3, much of that being in part because of the way the Blues played and turned the puck over, Carlson and DeBoer were both bitching about the Blues showing up to play one game, and they were there to play hockey. But that was the Blues' plan, and it obviously paid off. But what DeBoer was bitching about following game five and why the Sharks lost their shit in game five is... They're like, you know, what, Sunquist should have been called for one hit. Petrangelo should have been called for another hit. It should have been, you know, five-minute major. And it's like a five-minute major. The thing wasn't even called. And you're saying it should have So it was just all over the map. And I just wonder, and, and I'm telling you, DeBoer following game six. Now, I was at the game, but then I go home and I watch all the coverage. And he wasn't really congratulatory toward the Blues. He kind of had a look on his face and his words. And I'm reading between the lines of like, yeah, you know, I'm proud of our guys and I think in parentheses, considering the situation that we didn't have Carlson, Hurdle, and, and Pavelski, uh, that we hung in and, this, and the score was a lot, or the game was a lot closer than the score indicated. That's, and, and the NHL allowed it to get to this point. That's what I was reading between the lines on the way he was talking. And then I was just kind of, all right, well, close the book, and you bitched and moaned in 2016 and you won. You bitched and moaned in 2019 and it didn't work out too bad. Blues are off to the Stanley Cup final. And then I'm watching what happened on Monday night in game one, and I'm going, I wonder if there's, if they're trying to set a tone early for the Blues that the shit that you did against the Sharks is not going to be allowed in this series, especially with the number of skilled players that Boston has. I could be wrong, because again, it's not like you look at those penalties minus the Thomas one, which even well, it wasn't even, a, I'm not talking about where he got his ass laid out, I'm talking about the hooking. It wasn't like he like injured the guy. I don't know. It could have just been a nickel and dime call, and it's an outlier, but I'm I'm not sure. It's just it's just something I'm keeping an eye on, because if you if you take a step back and if you can, I know it's tough to do because there's so much emotion in it, and you go, why did the St. Louis Blues lose Game One of the 2019 Stanley Cup Final? And my answer to that is this is Family Feud because there's a variety of answers, but the number one answer is the penalties they took. The penalties shifted the momentum. The penalties allowed Boston, with a ridiculous successful power play of 34% in the playoffs, to go on the power play, and even though they only converted 20%, for those 10 minutes where they were on those power plays, that means that the Blues were not going to be able to be on the attack, and at the very least not sustain an attack on the PK. So that tilted the ice. And I'm not saying they did that because they're anti-St. Louis and they want the Bruins to win at all. I'm saying they might have gotten together with the officials and said, listen, there were some calls missed in the Shark series, and I'm not even talking about the hand pass, which Bettman was very candid in saying it drove him up the wall that that happened. 
But I'm talking about the Blues taking some liberties on some of the Sharks' top-tier offensive players, or in the case of Carlson, a top-tier offensive defenseman. And, you know, look what wound up happening. The Sharks had a shell of a roster out there in Game 6. We can't let that happen. We've got to set a tone early on. That's what I think. Now, I might be wrong, because it's not like anybody with any credibility is saying this outside of my ass. But I wonder about that. So I'm very anxious to see what happens in Game 2. So I will introduce this theory because it's a podcast and this is kind of like our little secret club. Before Pete and I started recording this, it was just, well, Jeremy Rutherford reported that he's hearing Robert Thomas is not going to play. So this isn't like a confirmed thing from Bruby yet, at least as the moment I'm talking. It might be here in seconds or already would have been. But uh, I think, again, I, I really probably overanalyzed this shit, but I think... The Blues knew Thomas wasn't doing well anyway with an injury that had nothing to do with the Krug hit on Monday night in game one. And it would behoove him to have a few days because he's not going to be effective or as effective as he was in particular at the beginning of the Dallas series where that line was just killing it with Maroon, Bozak, and and Thomas. Uh, And hell, I mean, he's the one that really is responsible for the game-winning goal in in game seven that set up Maroon's uh, heroics. So let's give him... Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday off. He hasn't been practicing anyway. It'll make it look like the reason he's out is because of the hit that in New England they're having circle jerks about. And and maybe we'll be served on this side by giving Thomas rest and we can get him in there for game three on Saturday night, four full days off. And then on the other side of it, and he only I think he only had like eight to ten minutes of ice time in game one anyway. And then on the other side of it, we can say to the officials in the NHL, we just lost one of our top forwards, and you didn't even call a penalty on that. I mean, you're going to call him for a hook in the second period, and then he gets laid out, and now he can't play in Game 2 of the Stanley Cup Finals? And then it's magical, because just like in Game 4, after the hand pass, oh, what a surprise, the Blues had a bunch of fucking power plays right out of the gate. I just, I'm theorizing here. This is straight conspiracy theory shit, but I really do wonder about it. Do with that what you want. I will uh, I will see how it plays out, as will you. Always enjoy questions from the audience. Thank you to our sponsors, Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com, Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, James Carlton, the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, 314-961-4800, online at carltoninsurance.net. Johnny Landoff, Chevrolet, Highway 270 in the Washington Elizabeth Exit online at landoff.com, Chevy, find new roads, and design air heating and cooling, design air service.com. They're the number one train dealer in the Midwest for Gangster Pete. I'm Tim McKernan. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the Home Loan Expert dot com studios.